We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hi. It's been a minute. It has been a hot second. We've taken some vacation time, I think, and it was much needed. I've also kind of, like, forgotten how this works. (laughs) Right? A little bit. (laughs) I know. Like, it's, it felt weird not doing it, but it feels weird doing it again. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way, just in like a, when you haven't ridden a bike in a while, you mm-hmm. kind of wobble a little bit Yep. before you get your cane. You're like, why do my knees hurt? Because you got to readjust your seat. Yeah. And you're like, oh yeah, bike seats are incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. My ass hurts. Yep. And your wrists get sweaty. I just get sweaty everywhere. <laughs> It's just my general state of being now is just sweaty. Time of sweat, Mm -hmm. season of sweat. So, unless you have been completely oblivious, we have not released new episodes with the two of us for the last (laughs) two weeks. And that was pseudo intentional slash not intentional on my part. I had camp for your children. Not adult camp for you. <laughs> no. Oh my god, I can't even imagine what adult camp for me would look like. And then I was struggling to get back up to date with the work that I missed. So well, you needed a break from being at camp all week. Yeah, it was pretty exhausting. That's hard. I can't imagine. Yeah. And when you when you were at camp, I had just gotten back from a work trip. Yeah. And so I was very, very amenable at that point. I was like, yeah, a day off. Cool. Let's do it. So thank you again to Caitlin over at Pacific Northwest Haunts and Homicides and Alex from Weird Distractions for allowing us to feed drop your content. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's appreciated. Very much so. Shout out to our patron, Tom, who continues to be the sole supporter of our podcast over on Patreon. He is the goat. And I sent him a lovely little note on Patreon being like, I love you. Thank you for supporting us. He was like, (laughs) oh, thanks. I love you too. And then I was like, oh, feel good. So let's dive into the first of the birthday month topics. And this week we will be discussing Queen Lily Uokalani, the last monarch of Hawaii. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I did my best to phonetically put out the pronunciation, the proper Hawaiian pronunciation for these names and places and things. And if I get them wrong and you're a native Hawaiian speaker, I really am sorry. I yeah. did my best. It's fair. So please don't be mad at me. <laughs> there was a handy guide that if I did not put it in my notes. I will put it in my notes. That really helped me with my pronunciation. So hopefully I got it right. 
Anyway, information was pulled from the following sources. A 2023 history article, 2022 All That's Interesting article by Genevieve Carlton, 2022 Mental Floss article by April Snellings, 2019 Legends of America article by Kathy Weiser Alexander, 2017 Smithsonian article by Jason Daly, Britannica.com, Iolani Palace, Luliuo Kalani Trust, the National Park Service, National Women's History Museum article by Carrie Lee Alexander, PBS American Masters, Smithsonian American Women's History Museum, WAMS New York Historical Society, and two Wikipedia links. Nice. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Got something you want to say? Shoot us an email over at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your story ideas, see any gifts you send our way, or if you just want to say hello. We're pretty friendly. Speaking of friendly, if you'd like to have real-time conversations with us, consider joining our Discord over at the Cultivate Network. You can chat with us over at the Old Crimers Cubby, or catch up with any of the other great creators that are part of the Cultivate family of podcasts. Just click the link in our show notes or over on our link tree to get started today. As I said, this is the first of our birthday month episodes as picked by Maddie, yeah. and this one will both inspire and anger you. So, Of course. <laughs> buckle up. Why people fucking up? <laughs> it's kind of a trend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is nice. This is mine now. <laughs> what can we do to destroy this nice thing? Mm-hmm. We do do that. It's kind of our jam. Mm-hmm. Liliu Loloku Walania Wewehi Kamakaeha was born on September 2nd, 1838, to High Chief Caesar Kapa Akea of Maui and Chiefess Analea Keo Ho Kelola of Kailua at the base of a dormant volcano in Honolulu, Oahu, Hawaii. She was born at the base of a volcano? Mm-hmm. Damn. At her baptism, her Christian baptism, mm-hmm. she was given the name Lydia. Oh, that's a pretty name. Yeah. She had six biological siblings. Dang. Yeah, oldest or youngest? Or was she I wasn't quite sure where she fell in the mix. Okay. It was kind of, you'll kind of understand when we go into it, but it was kind of hard to figure out where she fell. Okay. So there's James Kaleo Kalani, David Kalekaua, Ana Kaiulani, Kaimi Na Auau, Miriam Like Like, and William Pitt Lelei Ohoku. Her yes. mother was an advisor to King Kamahamiha III, and in missionary tradition, Lydia was raised by another royal family. High Chief Abner Paki and Chiefess uh, Laura Konia, alongside their daughter Bernice Pauahi Bishop, even though her parents were from a high-status Hawaiian clan. So it didn't matter that her parents were high-status, she still had to interact with these people? Yep. So this practice of informal adoption is known as Hanai, and was very common among the elite and noble families of Hawaii, where children born into large families would be raised by families with few or no children. Interesting. 
Mm-hmm. So did she still like interact with her parents? She just lived with these other people? Was it more like kind of a community rearing where they shared children? It was more of up until a point she viewed her quote unquote foster parents as her parents. Mm. But I think it was just to kind of make sure everyone was kind of raised a certain way and given like the same sort of time and attention. Yeah, that kind of thing. That's an interesting way to way to do it. I mean, I mean, it's not so uncommon as like what they would do in the European monarchies where they would send sons and daughters to different courts to be raised Mm -hmm. certain ways. And if they were going to be betrothed to like a French nobleman. They would go to France to learn the language Mm -hmm. and yeah. Yep. Interesting. Lydia attended a number of schools specifically designed for members of royal clans starting at the age of four at the Chief's Children's School, which was a boarding school founded by King Kamahamiha III. While there, she received a modern education, learning English in addition to her native Hawaiian, and she did not enjoy her time there. Mm. It sounds like not the most pleasant place. Yeah. Like, pretty stuffy. Run by missionary Amos Star Cook, children were taught to act and speak like upper-class white Americans. Great. Yep. And misbehaving children would be sent to bed hungry, with many sneaking into the kitchens to try and find food, or even going to nearby plantations in search of something to eat. That's really sad. Yeah. You know those kids are desperate if they're, like, hunting for food. Mm-hmm. So they must have refused them for more than one meal. Yeah. Yeah. I could see why she hated it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds gross. In 1848, an outbreak of measles hit Hawaii when Lydia was 10. Non-natives coming to the island for commerce, as well as missionaries, brought the deadly disease to the islands which resulted in an epidemic that wiped out 10,000 people, which was a quarter of the population. Wow. This included Lydia's three-year-old sister, Ka-imi'i na'au'au. That's so sad. Yeah. Following the pandemic, her boarding school closed, and Lydia continued her education at a day school, which she said she had a lot better time at. Good. I'm glad. Lydia was a gifted music composer. She is quoted as saying, quote, To compose was as natural to me as to breathe, and this gift of nature, never having been suffered to fall into disuse, remains a source of the greatest consolation to this day, end quote. Nice. Over the course of her life, she would compose more than 150 songs. Damn. Play in the royal quartet and knew how to play the piano, auto harp, ukulele, and write musical notation. That's really impressive. Mm-hmm. That's impressive for anybody, let alone someone of high status like her, and a woman at the time, too. Mm-hmm. Lydia took her final exams at the Royal School in 1853, at the age of 15, before she began traveling with the royal court. She was known as, quote, the highest unmarried woman in the kingdom, end quote until she became engaged to a white American named John mm. Owen Dominus in 1860. Can I just say it's really creepy that she's like the highest un- unmarried woman at like 15? Yeah. 
they're like, oh my god, she's so high value. Somebody needs to marry her. It's like, she's 15. Yeah, it's pretty gross. It's really gross. But like, thanks? Yeah. Thanks a lot. Lydia married John on September 16th, 1862, at the age of 24. He was six years her senior. Not bad. Not too bad. Still Not gross, bad during that time. Like, normally, yeah. she could have been married to, like, a 50-year-old at the time. Yeah. Super gross old guy. Yeah. John was the son of a sea captain from Boston and stationed mm-hmm. as an official in the Hawaiian government as a royal aide. John had attended the school next to the royal school where Lydia was taught. The pair moved to Washington Place, which was built by John's father, Captain John Dominus. Her widowed mother-in-law lived with them there. Mm, That's nice. I'm sorry, I just have to say, it's very interesting to me that she married somebody who, for all intents and purposes, is much lower in status than she is. Like, I would assume that somebody of her status would be marrying at her level or higher. But the fact that he's, like, white Mm -hmm. and his dad made a name for himself, he was allowed to be with her. I think that's really interesting, especially of the time. Mm -hmm. Lydia stated in her memoir that their marriage, unfortunately, was not a happy one. Through no fault of her own, Lydia was unable to have children. And almost 20 years into their marriage, John would have an affair that resulted in a child with one of Lydia's servants in 1883. That's very common in these royal pairings, unfortunately. Lydia would go on to adopt the child years later, following the adoption of two other children through the Hawaiian custom of Hanai. Lydia Kaono Hiponiponi o Kalani Aholo who she adopted in 1878, and a the, boy named Joseph Kaipo Aea in 1882. Now, is this the same custom how sh- as how she was raised? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. It's kind of nice that she benefited from something that she experienced as a kid. Yeah, so she's just kind of able to continue to pay that forward by raising other royal offspring. Yeah, providing a good home. Mm-hmm. Going back to her earlier life, in 1866, at the age of 28, King Kamahamiha V asked Lydia to compose a national anthem for Hawaii. Wow. Mm-hmm. Her work, He Mili Lehui Hawaii, became the anthem for the next two decades. That's really impressive. Mm-hmm. The king was the polar opposite of his predecessor and ruled with what some might call an iron fist. Great. He passed away in 1872 without naming a successor, as he never married and had no children. Interesting. Under the Hawaiian constitution, in the event that a sovereign did not name a successor prior to their death, they have the power to nominate and elect a new king to establish a new line of succession. That's very modern of them at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. King Lunalilo took the throne until he too passed away without a successor in 1874. Come on, you guys. Right. Not one. Not, like, not even, you don't even have like a. Have a wayward nephew that you can appoint. Right. Get like a really nice niece. Mm-hmm. Enter Lydia's brother, David Kalekaua, 
who that same year was named as the new chosen king, much to the consternation of Queen Emma, the wife of King Kamahamiha IV and her supporters. She was hoping that, like, she would be put into place because her husband used to be king once upon a time. Yeah, I mean, I get that to a point, but at the same time, unfortunately, she's a lady. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Odds were very low at the time. Mm-hmm. When their brother, William Pitt Lela Io Hoku, died in 1877, David named Lydia as heir presumptive on April 10th, 1877. Ooh, so he's the first one in two monarchies so far. That actually named is mm-hmm. the next in line. Yeah, because originally it was supposed to be their brother William, but mm-hmm. then when he passed, and she was like the heir apparent. Yeah, yeah. So Dang. when he passed, and she became the next in line. Crazy. And it was at this time that she began to be referred to by her royal name of Liliu Okalani, which was a combination of her birth name of Liliu as well mm-hmm. as. Okalani, which means of the heavens. A year later, during her first visit to the United States, she would compose the song Aloha Oe, or Farewell to Thee, which would go on to become a classic synonymous with the island nation of Hawaii. Nice. Do you know that song? I feel like I do. It's that Aloha Oe. Really? She made Mm -hmm. that? Mm Mm-hmm. She's so cute. Yep. The song was said to have been inspired by a real-life event that happened while she was touring Oahu. The story goes that she saw a Hawaiian girl give a royal officer a lei as she bade him goodbye. Liliu Okalani served under her brother in a number of capacities over the next 14 years. She acted as regent during his world tour in 1881 and in another tour in 1887, She was received by both U.S. President Grover Cleveland and Queen Victoria, who invited her to the Queen's Golden Jubilee, which celebrated Victoria's 50th year as the reigning monarch of Britain. Which was a big, big, big deal at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Because isn't the former Queen Elizabeth, wasn't she the longest reigning monarch? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, but previous to her? It was Victoria. It was Victoria. In 1886, she established the Liliu Okalani Educational Society in an effort to provide schooling to impoverished girls. Nice. By 1890, the Hawaiian kingdom had seen a huge uptick in economic growth, holding 21 international treaties with more than 80 embassies around the world recognizing the island nation. Nice. Not only that, but it had universal suffrage by 1840, which is 120 years before the United States. Right. That's incredibly impressive. They really did treat women a lot better. Yeah. (laughs) They offered universal health care to its citizens and had a 95% literacy rate amongst its people, making it the second highest in the world. Okay, now I really feel bad that they're a part of the United States now. Yeah. Oh, no. David ruled as king until January 20th, 1891, when he passed away at the age of 54. Oh, that's so young. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Liliu Okolani ascended to the throne on January 29, 1891, cementing herself as the first and only woman to rule Hawaii as its queen. Just a few months after her coronation, her husband John passed away. Good. Yeah. Get rid of him. We don't really care about him. We don't care. At some point throughout their marriage, he was the governor of Oahu, I think. But Gross. I Who stopped cares? caring after I read what he did. So Boy, bye. Bye-bye. Learning from the mistakes of her predecessors, she named the daughter of her sister, Princess Miriam Lekeleke and Archibald Scott Cleghorn, 15-year-old Kaiulani as her heir apparent. Nice. During her reign, she attempted to restore a more traditional autocracy. Think one ruler, not a ruler in title only. Yeah, she wanted to be an active participant in the bettering of her people. Yes. Instead of just like showing up for parades and parties and... Yeah, just kind of being a figurehead, but not really having any sort of real real power. Yep. Even before she took the throne, she didn't have many supporters. I'm sure, because the other the other woman was pretty bitter about her already. Mm-hmm. See, she was very vocal about her dislike of Hawaii's Reciprocity Treaty of 1887 that had been put in place by her brother against his will and at gunpoint while she had been overseas attending the Queen's Golden Jubilee. They were mad that she was against this? Yeah. See... American and European businessmen and politicians Mm. were very interested in the growing sugar crops that they imported from Hawaii, so much so that they decided they wanted a bigger piece of the pie and control over parts of the kingdom. What? (laughs) Right. New industrial methods, coupled with larger plantation-esque farms, dramatically increased the crops and their role in the economy of the kingdom. I'm sure. In fact, between 1866 and 1879 alone, sugar production grew by 250%. Damn. To add insult to injury, in 1890, the U.S. passed a tariff act that dramatically increased the cost of Hawaiian sugar. This act almost crippled the Hawaiian economy. Unless they worked with the U.S. directly. See where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Hey, remember how we hated when England did this to us? Let's do it to somebody else. It's been long enough, right? Yep. It's been, it's been a hot minute. We've all forgotten. It's been a hot minute. Let's try it. It worked on us for a little bit. <laughs> yep. Gross. This new constitution that he was forced to sign by an armed militia was called the Bayonet Constitution, and it essentially transferred much of the ruling authority to the local legislature, which, you guessed it, was mainly composed of non-Hawaiians that were voted into seats of power. Under the legislature, the U.S. was essentially given carte blanche of the port of Pearl Harbor, where they were quote-unquote allowed to build a naval base, as well as commercial commerce tariff-free. Great. So you can kind of see why she didn't like that. Yeah. Yeah, I can kind of see that. Especially for somebody who was working so hard for the betterment of her people. Because mm-hmm. none of this is in the interest of her people. No, not really. 
so. I just keep thinking of that one Schmidt scene from New Girl when he was like, a, wh- a white man? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's how I feel right now. Yeah, yeah. To combat the damage that had been done during her brother's reign, one of her first acts was to fight for the resignation of the staff that had previously worked with her brother. Mm. When they refused, she put the matter before the Hawaiian Supreme Court, and they ruled in her favor, allowing her to restore her supporters to positions that they had previously held. Nice. (laughs) My first thought was, she killed them. (laughs) (laughs) She murdered them all, but I forget that she's not European. (laughs) Yeah, she's not she's not that kind of queen. That's what we would have done. Yep. <laughs> murder with their heads. Murder death. Death murder. In 1892, she, along with the legislature of the Kingdom of Hawaii, passed an act that would protect public lands from being privatized. Nice. The Highways Act declared that all existing trails, roads, bridges, as well as any future ones that would be constructed would be public highways. Good. Liliu Okalani refused to recognize the Bayonet Constitution and proposed a new one on January 14, 1893, that would restore the power that had been taken from the monarchy. Nice. And as you can imagine, this didn't go over too well. Yeah. 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 Especially since it was first started at gunpoint. Mm hmm. The Committee of Law and Order, a group of royalists and loyalists led by Robert W. Wilcox, gathered in the square outside of the Queen's Iolani Palace on January 16, 1893, to show their support of the Queen. The Marshal of the Kingdom, a man named Charles Wilson, requested that warrants be made for the arrest of the 13 members that made up the Committee of Safety, which was a group of foreign sugar planters, Americans, and European businessmen led by Sanford B. Dole, who wanted the queen to abdicate the throne. Mm. Is this Dole of the Dole Whip fame? (laughs) I don't know, but that'd be hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Boycott Dole Whip. Things heated up when the Committee of Safety called for Liliu Kalani's abdication of the throne. Really interesting that they're, they're um, the, the safety committee and they're threatening someone. The committee of Law and Order, yeah. They're, they're, they're wanting yeah. terror. <laughs> yep. They didn't do the safety dance. Terror and unrest. Yeah. After a failed negotiation, Charles Wilson, along with the help of the captain of the Royal Household Guard, a man named Samuel Nolan, gathered 496 men to stand guard to protect the queen. Good. On January 17, 1893, John L. Stevens, the U.S. minister to Hawaii, had 300 Marines from the USS Boston stationed outside of Iolani Palace, to protect the Committee of Safety that had gathered outside. This act made it clear that the United States gave their unofficial approval of this coup that would allow them to seize control of the Hawaiian government and put into motion talks of them annexing the island kingdom. I know. It's like, wow, that sounds just like us. 
Yep. We like this land, and we're just going to sit here and be really intimidating until you give it to us. Mm-hmm. On January 19th, a delegation from the Committee of Safety went to Washington, D.C. to ask for the immediate annexation of Hawaii. President Benjamin Harrison signed the annexation papers on February 14th, 1893. Valentine's Day. Yep. That's not very loving. No. And even fast-tracked the treaty to the Senate the very next day. Unfortunately for him, it wasn't passed prior to his term ending. Good. Just a few months after the coup, Grover Cleveland was sworn in as President of the United States for the second time, on March 4, 1893. He was in support of reinstating Lili Ukulani to power, and against a bill that had been moving through Congress to annex the Hawaiian Islands. Mm-hmm. He ordered an investigation into the coup, an investigation that would go on to be known as the Blount Report. Interesting. In December of 1893, the United States' new minister to Hawaii, Albert Willis, met with the Committee of Safety in an effort to restore power to the monarchy, offering full amnesty to anyone who participated in the coup. Regardless, the negotiations broke down. Oh, I'm sure. Because all they see is dollar signs, and they're already there. Yep. They don't care. In January of 1895, so this is two years later, Lily Uo Kalani's supporters, led by Robert Wilcox, attempted to return her to power as the ruler of Hawaii with an armed revolt. But they failed. Oh. As a result, she and six of her supporters were charged with treason. What? Yeah. How can the queen be charged with treason? I don't it's her know. country. Yeah. But she's not currently ruling it. But, like, it's hers, though. I know. What? I didn't say it made sense. Yeah. I know. It's just really weird to me. It's like, hey, you're being evicted from the house that's your house. Because it's not your house. Because we want that house. in your name. Yep. Because it's our house. Willie sighed really heavily during that. Yeah. He knows. Her supporters were sent to prison and actually sentenced to death. Great. The only way to gain the freedom of her supporters, who she was told would be be executed via firing squad. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, is it to annex? Yep, and to avoid mm-hmm. bloodshed was by yielding, quote, to the superior force of the United States of America, end quote, against her will. God damn it. In a statement, she shared, quote, now to avoid any collision of armed forces and perhaps loss of life, I do, under this protest, and impelled by said forces, yield my authority until such time as the government of the United States shall upon the facts being presented to it, undo the action of its representative and reinstate me in the authority which I claim as the constitutional sovereign of the Hawaiian Islands, end quote. Thus, Queen Liliu Okalani formally stepped down on January 24th, 1895, with the stipulation that her six supporters be pardoned. She would later write, quote, for myself, I would have chosen death rather than to have signed it. But it was represented to me that by signing this paper, all the persons who had been arrested, all my people now in trouble by reason of their love and loyalty towards me, would be immediately released. End quote. 
February 1st, 1895, Hawaii became a protectorate of the United States, with the U.S. flag raised over the palace as martial law was put into place. Ooh. Yeah. Not a very good transition. No. On February 8th, 1895, Liliu Okalani was tried for treason against the Hawaiian Republic in the palace throne room. Liliu Okalani was sentenced to five years of hard labor by the military tribunal, as well as a $5,000, or $182,000 today, fine. For existing. For existing, pretty much, yeah. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that she was there. Yep. Cool. On September 4th, the court commuted her sentence to house arrest at Iolani Palace in a single bedroom on the second floor. Oh my god. She was allowed one lady-in-waiting and could not accept any visitors. So they wanted to make her insane. Pretty much. Or hold her hostage. I'd rather do hard labor. Liliu Okalani spent the next eight months imprisoned at Iolani Palace. During that time, fearing she was going to die inside the palace, she translated the traditional Hawaiian creation chant of Kumu Lipo into English, hoping that even after her death, the heritage of Hawaii may live on. Oh. How, God, how heartbreaking would those eight months have been for her? Mm-hmm. Just thinking that, like, her entire, her entire heritage, her entire ancestry would be wiped out at any moment. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yep. She was finally released on October 13th, 1896, and given a full pardon. She shouldn't have needed a pardon at all. Yep. Shouldn't have happened. After traveling to Washington, D.C., President Cleveland attempted to negotiate the reinstatement of Liliu Okalani, and even sent the U.S. warships of Corwin, Adams, and Philadelphia to the island nation to prove to the local legislature and the Marines stationed there that he meant business. This turf war came to nothing, and instead of continuing to push for the annexation of Hawaii, the government established themselves as the Republic of Hawaii, with Sanford B. Dole as the head as their president. Okay, I really just need to know. Sanford B. Dole. Are you of the Dole Whip fame? (laughs) Sanford B. Dole. Pineapple. Stop. He developed the pineapple industry in Hawaii. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm not. He's known as the Pineapple King. He was an American industrialist who developed the pineapple industry in Hawaii. He established the Hawaiian Pineapple Company, which was later recognized to become the Dole Food Company that now operates in over 90 countries. He is... The king of Dole Whip. That fucker. This fucking piece of shit. I can never look at Dole Whip the same ever again. He is of the Dole Whip fame. I had a, I had a sneaking suspicion that he was. Uh, okay, that makes the rest of us even worse. Okay. Uh, I do cool. have to tell you, though, he is the great-grandparent of Wigglesworth Dole. Mm. Why you would name your child Wigglesworth is... Because uh, you're a pretentious piece of shit. But pineapples weren't native to Hawaii. He did oh. it. Oh. So he's a piece of shit. Cool. Sorry. I had to find I had to know. I was like, Dole is such a weird name mm-hmm. that it didn't seem like a coincidence. Yeah. Blech. 
1896, Liliu Okalani was baptized as an Episcopalian by Bishop Willis at St. Andrew's Cathedral in Honolulu at the age of 58. Interesting. Following her time in Washington, D.C., she returned to her home at Washington Place, where she lived as a private citizen. In 1898, the Republic of Hawaii once again put forth a call to have Hawaii annexed by the United States under the presidency of William McKinley, an annexation that happened following the Spanish-American War of April, in April of 1898. Just a few months later, on July 7, 1898, Hawaii became a territory of the United States, and Sanford B. Dole served as its first governor. Yeah, he became the president. One stipulation in the annexation was that Liliu Okalani was granted a $20,000, or $735,000 today, per year lifetime pension. I don't, I don't think that probably mattered much to her at that point. No. That same year that Hawaii became a U.S. territory, Liliu Okalani released her memoir, titled Hawaii's Story by Hawaii's Queen which is the only autobiography in history to be written by a Hawaiian monarch. Mm. In it, she details several important events in Hawaii's history, not just about her life. Of course she would, because she's an angel and really wanted everything to be told. Following her forced abdication of the throne and exile, Liliuo Kalani of Hawaii, as she took to calling herself, continued to advocate for a free Hawaii, not long after the annexation of the Kingdom of Hawaii, many of her loyal supporters visited her to celebrate her 60th birthday on September 2nd, 1898. Mm. The following year, Kaiolani, her heir apparent, passed away at the age of 23 from inflammatory rheumatism. Oh, man. Which sounds awful. It does sound awful. And so young. Mm-hmm. In 1909, Liliuo Kalani of Hawaii established a deed of trust for the welfare of orphaned Hawaiian children and had it noted that her estate would go to support this cause legally and financially. That same year, she fought for the return of the Hawaiian crown lands, suing the United States under the Fifth Amendment. The lawsuit was unsuccessful, but she continued to fight for compensation for the lands that had been seized by American and European businessmen with no success. Hmm. Well, she kept fighting. On September 2nd, 1911, Liliu Okalani of Hawaii celebrated her 73rd birthday by donating a piece of her property to the people of Hawaii. This area, which is located in New Uanu near the Waikahalulu stream, is now known as Liliu Okalani Botanical Garden. Nice. Liliu Okalani of Hawaii continued to fight for the rights of her people until she passed away at the age of 79 on November 11, 1917, from a stroke in her home in Washington Place. Wow. She was the last sovereign of the Kalakaue dynasty, bringing an end to the 83-year reign of the Hawaiian monarchy. As such, the people of Hawaii gave her a royal funeral. Mm. And I cannot explain what the royal funeral entailed better than the Liliu Okalani Trust website did, so I'm going to quote it. Okay. Quote, at midnight, so the day of her death, the royal reign 
fell lightly on the procession as her body was taken from Washington Place to the throne room of Iolani Palace, where she lay in state. When the procession arrived at Iolani Palace, there was a rumble of intermittent thunder that was looked upon as a good ho'a'elona, or omen. Mm-hmm. At midnight of the following day, her body, preceded by the flaming torch, which was the emblem of the Kalakaua dynasty and sacred Kahili, was taken to Kava'iaha'o church, where she lay in state for the next seven days. Her remains were then taken in a procession along King Street and up Nu'uanu Avenue and placed in the royal mausoleum at Mauna Ala. Prior to her death, Liliu Kalani of Hawaii helped raise funds for the Queen's Hospital and worked to establish a bank for women, in addition to her work for the Native Orphans of Hawaii. Today, both her home of Washington Place and Iolani Palace are national historic landmarks and museums. Hawaii would eventually become the 50th state of the United States of America on August 21, 1959, under the Eisenhower administration. In 1993, the United States Congress officially apologized for their participation in the coup against the Queen and acknowledged, quote, the Native Hawaiian people never directly relinquished to the United States their claims to their inherent sovereignty, end quote. Mm-hmm. Today, her trust continues to fund child services, providing more than $40 million in 2020 alone. Nice. You want to know a fun fact? Sure. James Dole died before Hawaii became a state. Good. I know. I feel good about it, too. Fuck you. James Toll. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the story of Queen Liliuokalani, the last sovereign monarch of the Kingdom of Hawaii. I'm really glad you told me, because I feel like it's a story that needs to be told. But I'm very sad about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm very impressed that, like, even to her death, she never stopped trying to make the lives of her people better. She never stopped because she was beat down pretty hard (laughs) from all sides constantly. Yeah. Damn. If you're interested in ad-free content, consider supporting us with a one-time donation either over on Buy Me a Coffee or our Venmo page, both of which are in our link tree and in the show notes. If you'd like early ad-free content, not to mention some bonus material, become a member of our Patreon today for as low as a dollar a month. Hi, I'm Kanika, and you're listening to That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview public figures on their life lessons in parenting, legacy, and built-in sixth sense. Hey, what's up? I'm Kelly Rowland, and you're checking out That's Total Mom Sense. Hi, this is Chelsea Clinton, and my experience on That's Total Mom Sense was fantastic. It's me, Bobby Brown. Can't wait to share my story. Thank you to my guests, brand partners, community, and you for making the show possible. Episodes release every Thursday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com and by following me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Kanika Chada Gupta. This week's podcast plug is the That's Total Mom Sense podcast. 
CNN television journalist, podcaster, and mother of three, Kanika Chadagupta, aims to give credit where it's often overlooked, the lasting impact of great parenting. She interviews public figures on their life lessons, legacy, and trusting their intuition, quote-unquote mom sense and dad sense, as they raise the next generation. Nice. You can visit her website. The link will be in our show notes. And she will also be a future Can You Crack the Cramp Word participant. Nice. And this week's listener question comes from the Old Crime Out of Context Twitter account. <laughs> and they want to know, if you had to choose from only what's in the room with you right now, what would you use as a weapon in a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> I so happen to have a very heavy cast iron skillet in this room. And I would just swing as hard as hard as I could constantly. I'd get really tired really fast though. Yeah, you would. I I'd be pretty fucked. You could use your snake. What's my what's my snake gonna do to zombies that are trying he doesn't bite on command. I mean he could wrap around them. Slowly and slowly like strangle oh, them to death. They're slow too, right? <laughs> I okay. I do have some heavy rocks that I could use to like bash in some skulls. You could use your podcast mount. It's not as heavy as you think it is. Yeah, but you could like make shivs. <laughs> I could like I do have some lighters in here. I have let's see, what else do I have in here? I have lots of paper. I could literally could burn, burn this into like a funeral pyre and yeah. we're all going yeah. down together. Beach. Yeah. Just like start them on fire. I do have some LPs that I could use as like ninja stars, some ninja like stars. records. Just like yeah. throw them at them to disorient them and shit. I have insulin. I know if you give <laughs> if you give a non diabetic insulin, they die. I don't know what that would happen to somebody who's already undead. <laughs> like, what would that do to a zombie? Wouldn't it be really funny if like you it's it worked cure to zombieism? It will. It worked. And it would kill them, but you tried to do it to a zombie that was a diabetic, and it just didn't work. Mm. They just got like low blood sugar and was a little, a little slower. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't know. Thanks. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Ow! All right, what's something good you'd like to share? It's been a hot minute. It has been a hot minute. What is? Oh. I got to eat my first tomato off my tomato plant. Yay. And it was so good. It was a little overripe. Like I waited just a little too long because they're beefsteak tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of hoping it would get a little bigger and it wasn't. And it was starting to get like the perfect color. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just try it. And it was the best tomato I have That's had good. all year. So... It's, I've got a bunch of little bitty ones. Oh, and actually, another good thing about this tomato, I have a golden grasshopper friend that lives on my tomato plant, and he eats the bugs nice. so that they don't eat my tomatoes. And so we have like a really chill relationship where I don't pour water on him, and he just like hangs out on my tomato plant, and he's like literally a golden color. I've never seen a golden grasshopper before. You should name him Jiminy. He's just hanging out. He's really, he's the protector of my tomato plant, so I'm very grateful for him. Golden Jiminy. My golden, golden grasshopper. 
Yes. What about you? <sighs> that was a long sigh. Any highlights from camp? I survived. You did? And it was fun. One thing I'm really excited about is we got an advanced copy of a book for someone that we're going to talk to next month. And I'm really excited because this book is awesome on a number of levels and I can't say anything else about it. Yeah, I'm really excited. Just know that something really cool is going to come out next month. Mm -hmm. So I'll leave it at that. Nice. Shall we? We shall. If you want a playlist of all our episodes on YouTube, click the link in our show notes or in our link tree and subscribe today for not only a list of our full catalog, but a separate list as well, just of our Can You Crack the Cramp Word segments. A great way to support the show if you'd like to help us out but can't do so financially is to leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, Podcast Addict, and you can also do so on Audible. Looking for more content? You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. If you'd like to see pictures from this week's episode, not to mention bonus content and funny memes, make sure to follow us on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Facebook and Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. On TikTok? Of course you are. Follow us at yieldcrimepodcast. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime.